an old school series. And uh, basically what, that, what we're doing is we're going back to the old fundamental teachings of what the Bible uh, talks about and uh, not as old school as uh, my grandma's tabernacle teachings, even though those are amazing. And if you guys know what I'm talking about, you guys agree with me. But just just things that, that God has been God has told us that, that we don't we forget about or that we don't think about anymore. So when Kenny Kenny was gonna miss a, a service, he asked me uh, if I could bring a word, and I said sure. You know, anytime uh, you need me, just let me know, and, and I'll be uh, available. So uh, I was praying that entire week. I was trying to see what, what God wanted me to share. Um, I'm not that old, so I don't know what old school is. You wouldn't expect somebody like my age to know what old school teachings are and stuff like that. But um, God is faithful, and God is able to show me. And I was in my room, and I saw a plaque that I had got there that was that uh, my youth pastor at the time had given me that uh, it was before Life Youth Fellowship. Before Life Youth Fellowship, we used to meet at my house for a youth group, and that was how the, the, the middle school and the elementary kids grew out of that. And uh, a little bit after we had moved out of my house, we got to the church because so many kids started showing up, and uh, they gave us a youth pastor. And our youth group at the time was called Changing Point. And one night they shared on the, on the Ten Commandments, and they gave everybody at the service this small, it's like 12 feet by, I mean, 12 inches by like 8 inch uh, plaque, or, or like a little, just a dollar uh, board. And on it had just super plain, super simple photocopy of the Ten Commandments. And so I was in my room, and I look up, and after I finished praying, it was there, and I was like, amen, that's what's going to happen. So that's what I'm going to be sharing on tonight. Uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and receive what God has for us tonight, amen. Jesus, we come before you today, tonight, and we ask that uh, whatever may pour out today, God, that be all you, God, and that whatever you uh, have wanted us to hear, God, that you just use me and anoint my lips, anoint my tongue, that I be able to deliver exactly what you want for these people to hear, and that we be able to live out what you want us, God that we may be able to go back to our roots, to the fundamentals, God, so that we could continue to move on towards the future to bigger and better things, O oh Lord. I pray for all these things, and in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So Moses, starting with the Ten Commandments, Moses went up to the mountain of um, Sinai, no, Sinai, Sinai, and God told him that I have something to give the people, so come meet me up here. And the people said, we don't want to meet with God because he's really angry right now, and he's really mad at us. But you go and you represent us and bring us back down what he has for us. So he went up, and we look at Exodus 20, 20, and we see why exactly God decided to give the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. And it says, Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God comes to test you. He has come, and he's made a test for you, so that the fear of God will be instilled in you, will be with you to keep you from sinning. So as soon as these people left the, the, um, the land of Egypt and they left and they were free and God delivered them, God decided to give them something to live by, to, uh, guidelines to uh, conduct themselves with. And the Ten Commandments were written in order for the people to be able to see that uh, it was like a test. It was, it was like a way for them to, to test themselves so that they could be more like God, right? So to start off, they had the first commandment, you will have no other gods before me. And with this commandment, we think it's very simple. We're like, okay, I already chose Jesus Christ. I don't serve Allah. I don't serve Buddha. I don't serve any of those gods. I already chose Jesus Christ. So just move on to the next commandment because I already have this one done. 
And that's wrong because you may have chosen Jesus Christ, but you may have chosen other modern gods that are uh, alive and abundant here today. One of them, I call them the I God. And that person is yourself. That you rather spend uh, time doing things that are going to benefit you, the things that you rather do, the things that, you, that give pleasure to you, and you rather not do the things of God. You rather spend the time that you set apart for God on yourself. Whether that's sleeping in, whether that's spending more time at work, whether, whatever it is, you'd rather spend more time on yourself than the things of God. Another one is our phones. I share with the youth uh, that sometimes we spend more time on our phones than we do just praying or we spend more time talking to other people that we know rather than the person that created us, the person that's blessing us. Uh, this one, I'm pretty sure everyone uses and everyone, uh, it could be a God in their life. When I play bass on Wednesdays or on Saturdays, sometimes Sundays, I'll stand there and we're here before everybody else, right? And you'll hear the door open and you can't really see who's coming, but you see, you hear it, you hear like, so then, you know, you're standing there, you're like, all right, who's coming? And so we're there, we practice one song, we practice two songs, and then finally the individual comes out. You're like, that's, that's a very short span, that's a very short space. How come it takes them so long to get to, to the sanctuary? And that's because we have a humongous thing called a mirror on that wall. And a lot of times we decide to spend more time worrying about how we look, how we dress, how, how we're, we're, we're looking, rather than spending time with God. We care more about how we look than how we look spiritually to, in God's eyes. Uh, a friend of mine, Leo, I don't know if he's here tonight, he told me that before he, before he got reconnected to the church, he used to spend an hour of every day, and he would not leave his house until his hair was perfect. And thank God that a man of God was able to come to him and listen, that's not... That's not the way to go, right? And he was able to cut it. And now he, saw, he sees now that that, that that was such a waste of time, such a waste of my effort, of, of, my, of my energy to try to and look and please myself. And rather than using that time, it's not that, that he used that time that he did, wasn't spending time with God, but that was before his time with God, right? The television we like to watch, we just saw the Super Bowl. A lot of people like to spend more time watching television than spending time with God filling their minds with a bunch of junk from the news, and, and they're getting depressed, and they're hearing there's, there's a bunch of homicides, there's school shootings, there's an accident, all this different stuff, and they're filling their lives with this junk, all this depression, instead of filling their lives with life, with the word of God, instead of blessing their lives, they're bringing curses on it. So not only are we called to serve Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, right? Besides Allah, besides Buddha, Great that you serve God, but make sure that all these demigods, all these small gods in your life, you kick out, that they don't take place of your Jesus Christ. Second commandment, uh, you will not make an idol before you. Uh, In today's day and culture, we don't really have little idols because of the culture, but back in our roots in Cuba and different Latin American countries, we have Santeria and stuff like that, and you should kick that stuff out of your life, all those demons that are happening, those little... uh, mannequins or all that stuff but an idol is also something that you idolize after well I was in Santo Domingo after service I was able to talk to some kid that was there he was really excited to talk to me he's like I love America and I was like all right awesome and he's like I love Americans I love how you guys talk I love your accent I love everything about America I'm like oh it's great so he's like can you speak to me in English and I was like I guess sure let's talk about God and I was able to talk to him and talk, and I was like, so what are you into? He's like, oh, I'm a singer. I'm like, and he's like, oh, okay. Uh, and I go, and he goes, oh, yeah, my, my, I love Justin Bieber. And I was like, ooh, why? 
Like here in America, we make fun of him, but he's everywhere else. They, they look up to that guy and they think that he's super cool. And, and he's like, no, he's just an awesome singer. And the way he started off so small and now he's so big and he's famous. I want to be like that guy. And I told him, listen, that guy is far from anybody that you want to be like, you know. That guy doesn't have any character. That guy is super foolish. He's, de he's destroying his life. He started out innocent. He started out doing little things. And I understand that's why he said he likes Justin Bieber. But that guy is nobody that you should put in front of uh, to, to try and be like and be a representative of, of your future plans. But in our lives also, we have people like Donald Trump that were like, oh, man, his business strategy is amazing and I want to be like that. Or we have different people for the girls. They look at the celebrities, how they're dressing, how they're, um, they're going about. And they're like, oh, man, I want to I be like that person. But those people are disasters. Those people live for the value of this world. And those people aren't something that we should put as an idol in front of us to be worshiping, as to be going after, to look like, to act like. Because at the end of the day, you know, like my dad always says, most of those people commit suicide. They lose their families. They're drug addicts. They are constantly into rehab and things like that. We should be going after and idolizing God's heart and going after what God wants to be. The third commandment is don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. This is probably the most broken commandment, I would say, except for like the first one maybe, because it's so common in our culture. Where I was like, OMG, this guy's here. OMG, you should see what's in front of me. OMG this, that's in our texting. On, on TV shows, on movies, they're always like, God damn. You guys can finish off if you want. Um, they, they're always like, something bad happens, somebody gets shot, like Jesus Christ. And they say all these names. And why do they do this? Because they don't know what it really means. They don't know what the big deal behind that name is. And if we could put Philippians 2, 9 through 11, we see that that, that name, that Jesus Christ, therefore God has also ex highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That's not a name to be playing around with because that name heals people. That name drives demons. When Satan hears that name, he has to run. He has to flee. That name isn't something that we use commonly, and Satan loves the fact that people are just using it so, so arrogantly and uh, just um, ignorantly because they don't know what that name is. They don't know the power behind that name. They don't know when that name is mentioned that chains are broken, that generational curses are broken. They don't know that alcoholism and drug habits are broken with that name. So that isn't a name that we should be using lightly. That's a name that we should be prophesying over people. Amen. Satan knows the power behind that name. And so what he's doing is he's trying to normalize it. He's trying to make it a common name. Because the more you use it just for anything, when the time comes to be used, you're going to be out of luck. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is God's house, right? God comes and his presence is here with us here in God's house, right? And many times... We're too tired, we have better things to do, we have other things to, to, that we have to get done besides come to God's house. And we put those things before what is God's house, right? And that's on Sundays, that's the day that, that God set apart. He's like, on this day I rested, so that's the day that you guys go ahead and set apart and you guys use that day. And we're tired, we don't feel like coming, the night before we had a late night, whatever. But there's some of us that, you know what, we do. We come, we're faithful on Sundays, we wake up early, we even get here 15 minutes before early, whatever it is. But then other days, it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Holy means set apart. 
And this church has set apart different days throughout the week where we decide that we're going to get together and praise God, right? On Monday nights, there's something called men's meeting, right? And it's a shame. It's crazy to think that a newcomer had to come. I didn't even know that. And they had to go to their group. And they, when they sat down, nobody was there for them, right? There are a million and one reasons why not to come to men's meeting. But at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to be spiritually starving. You're the one that's not going to be able to um, perform and, and, show your ba- and show your family what it is to walk in Christ. You're not going to be able to be the leader of your home. And you're going to send your, your family to destruction, right? God's blessings are going to be able to pour because of you. God's blessings are going to be able to come on, on, into your home because of your decisions that, that work was more important, Right? That, that homework was more important. I told the youth that, uh, that Wednesday nights, a lot of them decide that they've made tonight a study hall. And they're back there in the cafeteria and they're doing homework. And I understand there's tests and stuff like that. I understand there are times that you, you, know, you really can't. But when you're deciding that those times where you can and you choose not to, and you're choosing not to, to spend time here and receive and to praise our God, you're going to spiritually starve. And with enough starving, you know, you die. For women, you have, uh, you have two. You guys are awesome. You have two. On Monday nights, you have Clarita's house. And then Wednesday mornings, you have uh, my mom's house. And, you know, I complain a lot to my mom. And I'm like, the women, the women on, on Wednesday morning, because they, they come into my home and they fellowship. And women are kind of loud sometimes. And I, I'm not a morning person. So I've been getting out of the house quicker. But if that's what I have to do, if that's what it takes, then come, you know? Make sure you guys show up. Don't make me wake up early for nothing, right? I, we have a, we, so like I said, we have a million excuses why not to come. We have a million excuses, you know, the kids are tired, whatever it may be. You have your responsibilities, and obviously take care of your family before you uh, be able to come to church. But don't, don't exchange some time that you can set apart for God, Right? I, I showed and I, I wanted to honor this man. Uh, he's not here tonight because he has school and he has work and stuff. But Chris, Chris is super faithful. And he's in the middle of law school and he has a full-time job, right? And yet with that, with, the, with that response he put in his life, with his, with his work and with his schooling, yet every Saturday night he's here an hour before our practice. Practice starts at 5. He's here at 4. He's already picking songs. He's worshiping God, getting ready to be in that mood, in that, in that presence of God to be able to, to bring others that come on later to a youth group, he's been able to bring them into the presence of God. He's able to lead them into worship. Now, he knows what he has to do. So you're not going to see him after youth group, right? You're not going to see him on Sunday. He does the same thing. He comes here an hour early. He prepares, and he brings the presence of God down here. You won't see him after. But the time that it's time to, to serve God and to praise God, he's here, and he's here faithfully, Right? Commandment number five, honor your mother and your father. I want you guys to notice that, you know, there's ten commandments, right? And yet this commandment was put as the fifth commandment. And these commandments are, are listed in, 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 uh, in uh, the arrangement of importance, right? And notice that God holds this, the honoring of your father and your mother, above killing, above stealing, above committing adultery, above all those big sins that we like to call. He holds honoring your mom and dad of a greater importance because he knows that, that those are the people that who, in what you receive instruction, you receive discipline, right? And 
the, the, when we think of honor, it's, um, Kenny shared this on old school, old school honor, that honoring is treating something that is original above and beyond that, right? And our parents, they were placed there by God. They were placed there to discipline us, to, to instruct us in the ways we should go. And a lot, of, a lot of the youth, and I'm sure it's the same case tonight, we feel like those guys, those people in my life that we call my parents, they don't deserve honor. They don't deserve because they, they, they maltreated me, they, they verbally abused me, whatever the case may be, they, they just do not deserve that honor. And God's like, that doesn't matter because I haven't told you that you're doing it for them. You're doing it for me. You're, I'm asking you to honor me by honoring them. And by honoring them, that's how we honor God. And honoring our parents isn't listening to them. Um, my, my mom, she used to say, uh, you're allowed to have one C in your report card. And so in seventh grade, I was like, fine, I'll have one C. So I would do my homework, but i do just enough that I knew my mom would be okay with. But that's not what honor is. Honor is doing what your parents, what your leaders, what your spiritual fathers, your spiritual mothers prefer. It's not what they want, it's what they prefer. They, my mom prefers me to get straight A's. And in eighth grade, I realized, like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm dishonoring my parents. They're here. They're paying for my education. I'm going to a private school, and I'm here, and I'm dishonoring them because I'm not doing them. I'm not doing what they prefer in my life, right? Your boss, he expects you to get to work on time, but I bet he prefers for you to get there before to get your things ready, right? He, he wants you to get the job done, but I bet he prefers for it to be well done, for it to be done right, for it to be done with excellence, and we see the example when we say, no, but that guy doesn't deserve it. That, that spiritual leader, that leader in my life, whoever God put him, whether my boss, my parents, my pastor, that guy doesn't deserve it. Then be with the heart of David. When Jesse was asked to bring all his sons, Jesse brought all of them except for David. Jesse was, was excluding the, the fact that David was significant. He thought that he was just an ordinary boy. He was the youngest. He thought that he was... He was out of no, nowhere near being worthy of being a king. Yet when you find out where David was, regardless of how Jesse was treating him, you see that David was honoring his dad and he was still taking care of the sheep. He wasn't, he wasn't playing around. He wasn't messing around, doing, running around the house. He was taking care of the sheep, doing what his dad had asked him, regardless of how his dad was already treating him. Number six, don't kill. To kill means to end life, to cause the end of life, right? And uh, hopefully none of us here were murderers or are murderers or have that in your heart. But many of us here have killed our pastors and have killed our leaders, right? If you've heard the expression, you're dead to me, does that actually mean that that person is dead? Or does that, what does that mean? That means that that person, according to you, that person does not exist. That person does not count in your life, Right? And we've killed our pastors and leaders because all the life they've been pouring into our life, we're like, we don't want to hear it. We don't want that instruction. We don't want that discipline. We don't want that in our life. They say, hey, I, you, you shouldn't be talking to this girl. I don't want you talking to this girl. You should cut that out. We're like, no, what do you think you know? My parents are okay with it. We go, and, and he says, hey, I need you to do this for me. I need you to, I need you to uh, carry this out because a brother needs something. He's like, no, I have better things to do. Right? He says you cut something out. He says you come to the marriage conference. He says come to, to the men's group. He tells you to do a bunch of things. And we decide, no, we're better off. And at the end of the day, when you're cutting off all that life, what you're inheriting is death. And that death that's coming into you, 
by you neglecting the life that's in the pastors that they're preaching into you, you're causing your own destruction and you're moving towards your own death because you've decided to not receive life. Number seven, don't commit adultery. Adultery is having, is, is having sexual interactions with somebody that's already married. But I also see adultery as, uh, today as fornicating because whoever you're having those sexual interactions with, that one day will be somebody's wife. That will be somebody's husband. That is somebody that belongs to somebody that the Lord has decided to put away for somebody else. And by you intervening there and you're messing around with their life, you're, you're already disconnected and you're already in, uh, in, uh, interacting in, in, in what is adultery. Right? Not only that, but pornography, right? Whoever that is that you're looking at, you're looking at somebody that's not going to be your wife. You're looking at somebody that's not supposed to be for you, for somebody else's eyes only. And that's not what God has for you. God has something, has something wonderful for you, has something pure, He has something that's already dedicated to you. You don't have to mingle around. In fact, stay far away, right? And sometimes girls, they like to mingle and they like to do both. They like to just go close enough to the line, right? They like to flirt just close enough to the line, and then they'll back away, right? But that's just as bad because you're messing already with somebody's heart. You're already going towards, towards uh, making their feelings and, and their emotions arouse towards, towards you, and then you're cutting it off, and that's already playing with what is adultery and, uh, and that stuff. If you go to Matthew 5.28, please. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after has already committed adultery with her in his heart, right? That goes back to what I said about pornography, about even just looking at someone, right? And, and having those feelings, that intentions, uh, those uh, immoral intentions in your mind. If we go to Deuteronomy 6.15, For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Us as Christians, there's another name that we have besides Christians called the Bride of Christ, right? And God wants that our hearts be fully into Him, right? That everything in our life, that everything that we receive, that it all points back to God. That when people ask, oh, what are you? Like, oh, I belong to Jesus. I'm, I'm Jesus' bride. I'm part of Jesus. I'm part of his family. And God is a jealous God. And when you decide to go away from that and go away from him and cheat on him, as we use that word today, right? God doesn't take that very lightly, right? In fact, he's so jealous that he, if he can't have you all to himself, that it says he will destroy you from the face of the earth. Right? God doesn't play around with his children, with his bride, because he wants it, and, and he's a jealous God, and he wants you all for himself. Commandment number eight. Don't steal. This is taking something from someone else that does not belong to you. Right? If we, uh, whether it's cheating on tests, whether it's cheating at work, uh, whether it's, I've heard this happens a lot, when somebody gives you change and you decide not, that when they give you the wrong change and you don't say anything and you don't give it back to them, that's stealing, right? But more in a practical sense here in the church, cheating happens when you take something from someone or keeping something that belongs to someone that does not belong to you. When God does a, a move in your life, when, when you're going through a trial, through a tribulation, and something, something in your life is, uh, is, is not going well, but God intervenes and he saves you and he takes you out of that situation, 
then out of that, something called, the story of that is called the testimony, right? You went through a test, and God came into your life, and he saved you, and now you have a testimony, a testament of God's goodness in your life. And a lot of us are selfish with that, and after God has intervened in our life, after God has decided to do, uh, you know, bless us abundantly, even though we don't deserve it, we keep that inside, and what you don't know is that there's somebody in your circle of influence, whether your circle of friendship next to you, that might be going through the same exact thing that you just went through. And by you keeping that in your heart, that testimony, and not showing them, hey, listen, God is real, yeah. <clears throat> that God is, God is going to intervene in your life, God is coming through, you're holding back that hope that belongs to them. Yeah. You're holding back that encouragement from them. You're letting them, you're letting them de- uh, be destroyed by their own heart, by their own thoughts, and you're not, be, and you're not extending your hand and sharing with the goodness of our God to them. During worship, when, when us, the same thing, when, when we're up here, when, we're, when we take the time out to, to practice and to bring the worship songs, and we, we're bringing down the presence of God and God is inhabiting us, right? A lot of us, we decide that that's time to, be so, to, to start a social network, and we start talking to the person next to us. We start talking to the person in front of us. We decide to, to start texting. We start doing like that. And what you're doing is that you're stealing the daily bread that those people are supposed to be receiving during worship, right? And while they're there, and they're, and they're trying to concentrate, they're trying to seek the face of God, and you're there interrupting them every five seconds to tell them something, you're stealing away from them their blessings. You're stealing away God's praise from him. And God's not going to accept that. And he doesn't appreciate it. You go to Joshua 7.22. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. Next verse. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid out before them the Lord. So this is a story about a man named Achan. And Achan was in charge, was it, uh, it was in, in the official, or he was a, an official of part of the, the, the army of God. And uh, God said, listen, I'm going to send you to attack these people, but I want you to wipe them out. And everything they have, the gold and everything like that, I want you to leave it there. I don't want you to take it. And because of this man's disobedience, he decided to take it anyways. And he brought it, and he put it in his tent, and he hid it under the dirt. So as this, this is already passed, uh, the verse is already passed, but as, a, as, uh, as the Israelites continue to try to conquer the surrounding nations of Canaan, you see that they start losing, and they're losing badly. And so Joshua's like, God, what happened? There has to be something wrong with our hearts, with our, with our relationship, because we keep losing. And God says, there's something wrong in your tent, in, in, your, in, your, in your tribe. There's something going wrong within the people of Israel that I need you to fix. So because this man, Achan, decided to take this gold or, and, and these robes and all these treasures from that place, they, they were losing. They were losing the battles, right? So God finally tells him, listen, it's, send the men into the different tents. And they went upon Achan's tents, and they found the stolen treasure. And because of that act of disobedience, because he decided to steal and try to make provision for himself, it says, if we go to the next verse, go back, please. Back to Joshua 7. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will have trouble on you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with the stones. So he stole. He decided to take away from what wasn't his, from what God told him not to take. And not only was he destroyed, 
But what he stole in his act of obedience, his entire family, his legacy, everything was stoned. When it says they stoned them, all Israel stoned them, the them is talking about his family. His kids and his wife were stoned and then they were burned to death because of his act of disobedience because they decided to steal from what wasn't theirs. They decided to steal what was actually God's because God told them to leave that as a, as a sacrifice to me. So when you're stealing that testimony, when you're stealing that worship from, the, from, your, from, from somebody that, that needs it and you're not sharing the goodness of our God on other people, God's not going to take that easily. And there's going to be serious consequences on your life. On, the, on a commandment nine, don't lie. Saying something opposite from the truth. Pretty simple on that one. And God hates this one. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, it says seven things are an abomination to the Lord. Yes, seven are the abomination. Yeah, next one. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Next verse. A heart that devises wicked plans and feet that are swift and running to evil. Next. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. Twice, God says that he hates lying. One, he hates a lying tongue, and two, he hates a false witness that speaks lies. God hates lies so much because what they do is that they begin to make distrust among the people of God. They begin to make separations between friendships and people that God have put in your life for you to unite and for you to go on and, and serve him. Um, Revelations 21.8, God hates liars to the extent that it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. So every liar, God is saying, has their own master bedroom and hell waiting for them if they continue in their sin. God is waiting for that, their judgment to come down because he hates it. He hates when, when, when brothers are, 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 are taken apart and that trust is, is separated through lying. And for that, he, he doesn't like it. But instead, we have Philippians 4.8 that says, forget about lying, forget about deception, forget about all things. But instead, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that are the things that you're supposed to be thinking about. And number 10, don't covet. And we can have the, the worship team come up, please. Coveting is when you're desiring after someone else's things, right? You're telling God when you're coveting, God, what you have given me and what you provided in my life isn't enough. What you have decided to bless me with, what you've got to, to prosper me with, that isn't enough. And I want more. I want what he has. I want what she has. I want whatever I don't have. That's what I want. And God's, God's saying, but I'm already giving you your heart's desire. He says in Psalms 37, 4, that he gives those that delight in the Lord receive that what, the lights, uh, what their heart desires. And you're telling God, no, I want more. And by you wanting more and not appreciating what you have, God starts to take away from your life those that he's, the things that he's already given you. Because when you start to losing the things that you already have that God has blessed you, that's when you start realizing what you did have and what God had blessed you with. And a lot of men here in this world, they think that they, they, they don't have enough, right? So they start, and they start working more. I need more money. They start getting, they buy a boat. Oh, I need a bigger boat. I need another, another car. I need something else. But what they don't know is that what they've been given already, right, is a family, is sons and daughters, a legacy. 
And by them going after all those other different things, they start to lose their family, their sons. They start to lose their wife. They start to lose all their friends because they decide that what they don't have is what they need. And God has already put in their life something that they need and something that they have, and they don't appreciate that. And they forget all the blessings that have already been in their life because they've chosen to go after what God has for them. In Ephesians 1.3, we say, Pray, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Genesis 49.25, please. Because of your Father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, and blessings of the breast and the womb, your children, your legacy. That's what you're going to lose when you decide to look after other things. When you decide that what God has given you isn't enough, you're going to start losing the things that really matter in your life, the things that God has actually put in your life for you to enjoy. And uh, now finishing with this, these Ten Commandments, they were given to us as guidelines to live by, right? And like it says in Ephesians 20, 20, it was given, God has brought us a test. And by now, when I, when I finished, when God has finished speaking to me about, about this certain sermon, after I finished, I felt like, like a failure. Like that test, if that was a quiz out of ten questions, I probably failed every single one of them. And I don't know about you guys, but if you're feeling the same way, we feel that we are so unworthy. We feel like we, have, we just did all of this. We have nothing to offer up to Christ. And so what God was showing the people of Israel was in, in the first verse of um, Exodus 20, it says, I am the Lord your God, the same God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. God is showing us how much we are dependent on a Savior. How much we need someone, we need something to save us from the world that we cannot do it alone. That is impossible because of the, the destruction that we brought upon ourselves by disobeying these Ten Commandments. If we could go to Romans 3, 19, 19 through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. The Ten Commandments were made to show people how much, how, how bad they are and how desperate they were in need of something more, a savior. So that every mouth may be silenced, that no one can say they are good, and the whole world will be held accountable to God. Next verse. Therefore, no one will be declared right in, the, in, in God's eyes. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. When they try to apply the law to their life, they're going to see that how, much of, how much of a failure they are without a Savior in their life, how much they're dependent on something. Because through the law, we become conscious of sin. It shows us that there's something messed up. Next verse. But now a new righteousness, something God has made for us. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Next verse. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ and to all who believe. There is no difference. Next verse. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, next verse, we are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. The Ten Commandments, what this book, what these, what these ten rules were supposed to do, were to, supposed to be like that, that thing we have on that wall, the mirror. It was for us to be put in front of our face and to see all the black, all the dirty stuff we have in our lives and notice that we are in need of, of a solution, of a cleaner. 
And that blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can wipe away that stuff from our lives. James 1, 23-26. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. A man that looks and, and he's trying to see what's wrong with him. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Meaning, he looks at what's wrong in his life. He sees that he has the eye boogers from the morning. He looks that he still has a bruised eye. He sees that his life's a mess, that his outward appearance is a mess. And he walks away not caring. He walks away because it's, it's evident. We all look at this and there's no way that we can look at this and say that we're still righteous, that we're still good people. We cannot look at these Ten Commandments and still say, well, I'm kind of a good guy. I'm still a kind of a good girl, right? We look at this and we see, man, we are messed up. We need something better. We need Jesus Christ. And that's what the Ten Commandments is for. Next verse on James 1.24. Yeah. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, that, that gives him freedom and continues to do this because he's not forgetting what he has heard. But doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Next verse. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Whatever he thinks he can use, whatever he thinks that in his power he can create, that is useless. It's worthless, like the Bible says. That cannot save you. The only thing that can help us is this new righteousness, this new hope, which is the faith in Jesus Christ. Now, now that we have this, now that we've, we've, we recognize what that is, let's look deep into our lives. Let's look into that mirror that God has placed for us. Let's look into the Ten Commandments, and let's see what we have in our lives. Let's see what we have to take away out of. Let's see what we could take away to be closer and, and get a closer relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Because what we have, what we, what we have done, what we have done, everything is gone. Right? Jesus is going to wipe it away. He's going to make you perfect. He's going to make you unblemished. He's going to make you righteous in his eyes through that grace that is in Jesus Christ. And a lot of people today, they see that grace and they're like, oh, now we have the grace. Now the law is done. And I say contrary. Romans 3.31, please. And I finish with this. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Now that we have Jesus Christ, now that we have this grace, are we free to go? That's it. Is it over? Not at all, but rather we uphold the law. We still apply the law to our lives because we still need to use that because those 10 guidelines are a way for us to be more and more like Jesus Christ, to be light and, and shine on this, in this dark world and show the world what, what in need of a Savior that is, that they may be able to look at our lives and be like, wow, that guy is different. That guy is doing something right. Wow, that girl, she's acting way different than how all the other girls are acting. There's something different about that girl, Right? And whatever people see at us, that we then turn into the mirror and they may be able to see that they're off and that what they look inside that mirror is Jesus Christ. And they see that the only thing, the only reason that we're different, the only reason that, we, we, that are, we're being blessed and the reason that we're doing so well off is only because of one reason, like those Seahawks said, because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came into their life and gave them character and made them holy and set apart and gave them new life and peace and hope to live by. Amen. God bless. Amen. You know what I say? Word of the Lord. Amen. Word of the Lord. Let's ask the ushers to come forward as we celebrate tonight what we hold so dear, which is the 
the table of the Lord where we remember the body and the blood that was shed, the body that was broken. And Jesus said for us to do this so that we can understand what happened on the cross, that we're being reconciled with God and reconciled with the body of Christ. We're being connected to those who honor uh, the sacrifice. And I'll tell you what, as a pastor and sitting there listening to Nick share tonight, um, he was dead on with, with, I was like, man, I'm feeling mighty low. You know, when you're, when you're looking at the righteousness of God, you're like, I can't, I can't even move. What, what am I going to do in the presence of a holy God? They're called his holy commandments. And so I praise God for his heart and for bringing that, that grace of the goodness of God. I, I praise God that that's not, there was no rehearsal, there was no... We didn't say, okay, Nick, now remember now, don't squash the people. And I'm like, Nick, you're squashing your dad. And then, and then God gives them what the Bible says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Being able to, to under, make our hearts understand God in a powerful way. Father, we thank you tonight for this table. And we ask your blessing upon it as we partake in obedience to your instruction. And that we realize that all the law is and all the teaching and instruction is to describe and illustrate and define your reality. Bless this table, Lord. The bread that represents your body that was broken for us. Bless the cup that we will drink, Lord, that reminds us of the blood that was shed upon the cross at Calvary. Father, we pray that it being sanctified, we declare that it will be a blessing to us tonight as we partake and we get to examine ourselves and our standing before you so that we might not only partake, but that we might partake in a manner which is worthy, giving you full honor and dignity. Lord, I pray, oh God, that it would bring life and healing and blessing to our home. It's the holy things of God have been set aside as a blessing and an encouragement and strength to his people. We give you thanks for what you did at the cross of Calvary and how you willingly laid down your life that we might live and live in an abundant measure. Bless this bread and bless the cup as we receive it and celebrate your table in a manner which magnifies and glorifies your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. As the ushers are passing out the elements, the Bible says for us to consider the way we're living and to get right with God first. If you're not right with God, it's going to be very difficult for you to get right with others. And just come before God and ask Him to forgive you and to create a right spirit within you. A lot of times our spirit gets a little bit infirm and we get cold and runny like a runny nose we get a runny spirit it starts getting inflammated and, and sick and toxic we start thinking wrong unhealthy thoughts we lose our virtue and our and our righteousness so ask God tonight to wash you with his blood and, and allow you to receive the representation of his 
of his life as you partake of his table. We're going to sing one song, give time for the ushers to pass out the elements.
I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate of the bread. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns or he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let each man examine himself and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and men, many even sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if any one is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. The rest I will set in order when I come. You may participate of the cup. Let's stand tonight. I think tonight has been a little bit more clarity of the work of Christ's redemption.